The Salutation by Thomas Traherne. These little limbs, these eyes and hands, which here I find, these rosy cheeks wherewith my life begins, where have you been? Behind what curtain were ye from, from me hid so long? Where was, in what abyss, my speaking tongue? When silent, I so many thousand, thousand years beneath the dust did in a chaos lie. How could I, smiles or tears, or lips or hands, or eyes or ears perceive? Welcome, ye treasures, which I now receive. I, that so long was nothing from eternity, did little think such joys as ear or tongue to celebrate or see. Such sounds to hear, such hands to feel, such feet beneath the skies on such a ground to meet. New burnished joys, which yellow gold and pearl excel, such sacred treasures are the limbs and boys in which a soul doth dwell, their organized joints and azure veins, more wealth include than all the world contains. From dust I rise, and out of nothing now awake. These brighter regions which salute mine eyes, a gift from God I take. The earth, the seas, the light, the day, the skies, the sun and stars are mine, if those I prize. Long time before I in my mother's womb was born, a God preparing did this glorious store, the world, for me adorn. Into this Eden so divine and fair, so wide and bright, I come, his son and heir. A stranger here, strange things doth meet, strange glories see, strange treasures lodged in this fair world appear, strange all and new to me but that they mine should be, who nothing was, that strangest is of all, yet brought to pass. Thanks, Heather. That's great. Well, this is the last of a small series... In the first week, we looked at how we name things through the agreement as to what a particular term means. The idea that our reality is produced collaboratively by us as a community of knowers. And because of what we think we know, we want to impose that reality on others. In the second week, we looked at the idea of becoming human. And the idea from Jesus that we have two natures, the human and the divine, and that rather than seeing ourselves as human beings desperately trying to be spiritual, we are in fact spiritual beings, and our role is to discover what it is to be human. Last week we looked at how we get ourselves out of the way to express that spirituality through our humanity. How do we get ourselves out of the way to express our spirituality 
through our humanity. The idea of cutting the leash that binds our worries and thoughts and allowing our greater self to express itself through us. And today we're looking at the true nature, the true nature of our response to the divine. The true nature of our response to the divine. And I think our perfect response to the divine is humility. I think that is the only response as creatures that we can have to that which created us. It's it's interesting that the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be your nature. So having identified the place, our place within that fatherliness, our Father who art in heaven, we then go into that place where we hallow our responses to hallow. And what to hallow means is to honour as being holy. We honour that relationship that we have with the divine. And that engenders in us a place of humility. That place of humility. C.S. Lewis always said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself. And the word humility comes from the Latin word hummus, which means, it's not a Greek dish, it means soil. (laughs) It means soil or the earth. That's what it is, that's what it comes from. You know, we're literally, literally it's true, we are atoms thrown out by the Big Bang, become conscious, the universe made conscious of itself. And here, the universe conscious of itself in relationship to the divine. That's what we are now. We are the universe conscious of itself in relationship to the divine, which is an amazing place to be, which is why I love that poem by Thomas Traherne. Uh, Bill Hunt gave it to me, actually. 17th century English mystical poet. Only Bill Hunt would be reading 17th century mystical poetry. But here we are with it in front of us. And if you look at it, and we print, I printed it out because it, it wasn't the easiest read of all. Heather was very good to take it on. But if you look at that poem, it describes a meditation on what was before. What was, it's reminiscent of the Buddhist koan, what did your face look like before your parents were born? What did your face look like before your parents were born? What curtains were behind? That's what it says. What curtains were behind? I was nothing from eternity. Did little think to celebrate or see new burnished joys, such sacred treasures are the limbs of boys, that ecstasy of life, a true apprehension and gratitude for what is before us. And I think that is True humility. From dust I rise, out of nothing, now I awake. A gift from God I take. Into this Eden I come, sun and air. Into this Eden I come, sun and air. Strange all and new to me. But that they mind should be who nothing was, that strangest is of all yet brought to pass. And that's the nub of it. But that they mind should be, 
all this wonder, this Eden, who nothing was, who, who was nothing before I was born. That strangest is of all yet brought to pass. And if we could but see the gift we have in our lives, then gratitude and humility is surely the only response. And yet, you know, let's face it, we take it all for granted. You know, we get up and we might think, oh, that looks nice out there today. But, you know, we do take the getting up and our whole lives and moving on. We take it pretty much for granted. More than that, we demand more. We complain. We argue. We beseech. We long for greener grass. In my old parish, there was a sign saying, on, on the garage door, saying, the grass in the other field is always greener. And someone had written underneath, it's, it's also a lot more difficult to cut. <laughs> you know, the fact is, we, we, we fight, we take, we demand, and we forget the gift that's in front of us. We forget the gift that we've been given. Humility is our true response to the divine, our true response to life. It puts us in exactly the right place with regards to everything that happens if we have that attitude of humility. And we naturally, I've been using this poem from Rumi in the last few weeks, we naturally become the guest house that Rumi spoke of. This being human is a guest... I'm not going to read the whole poem, just a bit of it. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. From a place of humility, we can do that. We can welcome and entertain whatever comes our way. And in that state of humility, we do that because we recognize our poverty. That is the key aspect of humility. We recognize our poverty. That I so long was nothing from eternity. That I so long was nothing from eternity. And Meister Eckhart you know, he speaks of that poverty, that we should get into that meditative place of knowing nothing, wanting for nothing, and willing nothing. That place of poverty. Everything is a gift because we came into this world with nothing. So everything is a gift. And so with that spiritual impetus behind us and having created our, as I spoke about last week, our container in the first half of our lives, having cut the lease the leash, having cut the leash of our worries and our thoughts, we enter into that place from the Bhagavad Gita where we have a mind that is untroubled by any misfortune, whose craving for pleasure has disappeared, who is free from greed, anger and fear, who is unattached to all things, who neither grieves nor rejoices if good or bad things happen. Now, that is what the Bhagavad Gita describes as that place of poverty. You know, if you're able to cut your worries, to cut the leash of your worries and stop being concerned about everything and worrying about stuff and complaining about stuff, if you can do that and if you can open yourself to what is, you get to that point where you are untroubled by that misfortune, you know, untroubled when pleasures disappear. You are free from guilt, fear and anger and unattached to all things. Having arrived at that point, we are in a true place of humility. We accept what comes. And so we're able to see the wealth that's before us. 
then we can appreciate the wealth of this Eden, so divine and fair. And, you know, in Aspen, it's not difficult to look out there, is it? Or in the valley, you know, to look out there and see it all. I think, you know, I've always thought that, that my definition of wealth, wealth, I think, is the ability to appreciate experience. Wealth is the ability to appreciate experience. And so while you're moaning and negotiating and complaining, there is no room for that true wealth because all we see is what we lack. When we know we have nothing and then look around and see all that there is to appreciate, we become truly wealthy in that moment. As Jesus said in, uh, um, in the Gospel, consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not adorned like one of those. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? And you know, that is the reality of life. That, that is the true reality of life when you just drop that worry. A position of the knowledge of wealth that comes from humility. Wealth comes from humility, which is actually the opposite of the way the world looks at it. The way the world looks at it is completely different. You have to sort of get. The world wants you to build that container, as Richard Raw uh, was talking, we were talking about last week in the first half of life, and then the world wants you to fill it with stuff. You know, the world wants you to get stuff and chuck it in the container. Just more stuff. Thomas Merton puts it beautifully. He says, thus, I use up my life in the desire for pleasure and the thirst for experiences, for power, honor, knowledge, and love to clothe this full self and construct its nothingness into something objectively real. And I wind around myself experiences and cover myself with pleasures and glory like bandages in order to make myself perceptible to myself and to the world as if I was an invisible body that could only become visible when something covered its surface. But there is no substance under these things. I am hollow, and my structure of pleasures and ambition has no foundation. I am objectified by them. But they are all destined, by their very contingency, to be destroyed. And when they are gone, when you're on your deathbed, and there's nothing left of you but your own nakedness and emptiness and hollowness, you will know that you are your own mistake that which you thought you were is mistaken. And it's much better to arrive at that point of humility now than at the end of your life, when you could do nothing about it. Oh, no! I mean, you know, really. I mean, what a place to be, you know, to croak at that moment. Where, oh, I go, oh. And what we're really saying, what this is about, is get it now. It is that emptiness. In reality, the position of humility is the only way to achieve real wealth. Our appeal, by the way, is going to be later on. So I know. 
to really see the trees, to appreciate being in community, to see the beauty in everyone's faces, the light that comes in the windows, the sound of silence. You have to recognize your emptiness in order to be filled by such wealth. Now, it's always the big question, how do we cultivate this humility? And that's the key thing, really. We always agree, everyone knows that, yeah, humility is a great thing. But, you know, just what do we do to bring it about? That's, that's always difficult. It's almost impossible to try and be humble. You, you just can't. You, you just are or not. And it just comes naturally. And often we don't really know what it means to be truly humble or even how humble people behave. I love that old joke about the man who was given a medal as the most humble person in his church. <laughs> only to have it taken away from him when he had the temerity to wear it to church the next week. (laughs) what What do you do? And yet, the real thing is very different. You know, most people see Mother Teresa as a very humble person. Yet, if you visited her, apparently, she was completely ruthless in parting you from your money or your time or whatever it was. She was highly assertive are willing to use any method necessary uh, to get that to happen. So much for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, I like that idea that if you don't know how to pray or what to do, the first step in humility is to give thanks. You know, that is the first step. And I think it's a good place to start, to give thanks for what you have, to know that all of this is a gift and to receive it with gratitude. All of which will put you in the right place to create that sense of your place in the world. But I think life can be complicated. And if I was going to make make it even simpler, I'd say that in order to travel through life in a position of humility, there are three things that I think that you have to do. This This is my three things of being in humility. The first thing you have to do is to... Hold your nerve. Because life comes at you all the time. And you've got your inner world going, and your outer world going, like this. And you've got to somehow arrive at a point of sanity. You've somehow got to be in a place where you're not going bonkers with your mind telling you what to do. And you're not terrified by the circumstances. You've got to hold your nerve and just be in that place of not worrying, of just being open and gracious to the world. So I think the first place is to hold your nerve. The second thing you have to do when you're holding your nerve is you've got to put one foot in front of the other. And in life, you've got to do that. You can't just stay still and put yourself in a bunker and think nothing is going to happen. You've got to get out there and do something. So you have to act. You have to put one foot in front of the other in your life. And then the last thing, so first of all, hold your nerve. Secondly, put one foot in front of the other. And the third thing you have to do is respond lovingly to all situations. Now, it's very simple. But actually, in every situation, it is beholden on us to respond lovingly, and yet we don't. You know, we don't always, we don't think, am I responding lovingly in this situation? Is this the loving response? You know, there's no 
coincidence that Jesus' two commandments were to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your might and to love your neighbor as yourself. It is to respond loving. It is to come from love in your response. And I think if you do those three things, then you put yourself in a place of humility. To hold your nerve. And, and it is important to keep yourself centered. And that's what holding your nerve means. It means not being affected by what's going on, by the outcome, by your worries. Holding your nerve. Putting one foot in front of the other. Keeping on going. And then responding lovingly to each situation. I've got this little end bit here. It's always good to have an end bit in a message. And the end bit is, and finally, as they say on the news, just remember, I am not who I think I am. I am not who other people think I am. I am that I am that I am that God made me. He tells me who I am. And only in her will I know myself. Anyway, that's the end of it. So, that's humility. And let's say uh, some, just some prayers from a position of humility. Just people who we know are suffering at the moment.